0: go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke. We're going to be in Luke this morning. Um, A little lesson from our Lord on prayer. And uh, we had a Sunday school class, a very small class this morning. And so you're going to get a double dose of instruction on prayer this morning. But open to Luke chapter 11 verses... I'm going to go ahead and read 1 through 13 this morning. Luke 11, 1 through 13. All right, the word of the Lord. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, or if he asks for an egg, we will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's pray. Father, who is in heaven right now, hallowed be your name. Lord, we want, we ask, that your kingdom would come even now this morning where we are in our lives all around us. Lord give us exactly what we need. Give us our daily bread. Give us what we need most as we open your word and as we hear your voice this morning. And Lord forgive us as we forgive others. Lord cause your word to to be rooted deep in us and to deliver us and to keep us from all sin and temptation. And pray now that as we hear your voice, that you would open our eyes and open our hearts to behold the wonderful things you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how is your prayer life. How are you doing right now in terms of prayer? Um, There was a study about a year ago that Crossway, a Christian publisher did, uh, where they found out that of the 14,000 people who were surveyed on this question, how satisfied are you with your prayer life? Of the 14,000 surveyed, only 2% gave themselves a 9 or a 10 out of 10. And in fact, 55% gave themselves a 4 or a lower, 4 or lower. And I would assume that if you ask somebody, how's your prayer life? Uh, They may be tempted to inflate that just a little bit. So I think it would be a little bit lower than that. And I think many of us feel that within us when somebody asks us, how is our prayer life? That it's perhaps not what we hope it would be. Somebody said one time that if you preach a sermon on prayer or evangelism, you can guarantee to send everyone home feeling guilty. Now, I don't know if that's the case, and that's certainly not my aim this morning. My aim is not to send you home feeling guilty, but to send you home hopeful and feeling encouraged uh, by looking at what Jesus has to say about how we should pray. Just think about this, everyone who is here this morning, and and I really mean everyone who's here with us this morning, would confess these facts about God, that he is infinitely wise, he is infinitely powerful, he is infinitely good, and he is a God who ordains whatever he ordains for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He ordains for our good because we love him and we are called according to his purpose, whatever he ordains. We have these scriptures we can look to, Job forty two, two, and you know all about what Job went through. Job said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Jeremiah twenty nine, eleven, which is a oft an oft quoted passage. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. He said this to a people who are about to spend 70 years in captivity in Babylon, suffering and yet being promised that he has plans for their welfare and for their good, not for evil. Proverbs 16:9 says that the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And Matthew 6, 8, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So God knows all. He knows what is and he knows what will be. He knows everything that we need even before we ask him. So in some ways, this is a great mystery. If God in his sovereignty already knows everything, has already determined what will be, then why should we even pray? you ever find yourselves asking that question? Well, a short answer this morning is because one of the many, among the infinite number of things that God has determined, one of those things is that he is determined to make use of our prayers to accomplish his good purposes. That's one of the things he has determined in his sovereignty. And so what we see him doing over and over again all throughout the scriptures is telling us that we should pray. It is a good thing for God's people to be praying. In fact, he tells us we must pray and that his desire is that we would depend on him always in prayer. The second half of of the verse I just read in Jeremiah 29 is then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. In John fifteen seven, Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Ephesians six eighteen, where Paul is telling us to put on the full armor of God, he closes that section by saying, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And then Colossians 4:2 continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And 1 Thessalonians 5:17 pray without ceasing. ceasing. You got it. You memorized that one. But one of the reasons why I think we do get discouraged With our prayer life. One of the reasons why I think some of our prayers that we once prayed so boldly, even good prayers that are conformed to the heart of God, one of the reasons why they maybe have waned or they do wane is because we don't always pray as the Lord taught us to pray. We don't always pray as we ought to. In fact, just to to, to give you an illustration this morning, some people really enjoy golf. There's some people here who really like to play golf. And I love to play golf. I, I, I've enjoyed golf, i played it as, as a little kid, but there have been some people who I have kind of sung the praises of golf to, and I said, this is the, the best game, you gotta come out here and try it. And they get out there, and I, and I don't really tell them anything, maybe give them a few quick tips and they spend four hours, 18 holes, just sitting there whiffing the ball and shanking it into a pond and running all over the place trying to find their ball. And they say, what could possibly be so good about this game? Well, it's because they're not playing according to the instructions of someone who knows how to play the game. And I think it's similar to our prayer lives. We throw up prayers, maybe sometimes at random, sometimes in desperation, but how often are we actually being mindful of the way that the scriptures teach us to pray? And so rather this morning than talk about why we should pray, I think we covered that in the first section, I want us to give a really strong look this morning at how we should pray. How does our Lord Jesus Christ teach us to pray? And let that change Some patterns and some habits in our prayer. And so the first point this morning is simply that we should ask or we should pray with our hearts first attuned to God. We should pray with our hearts first attuned to the heart of God. There's a quote from Hudson Taylor, who was a a missionary to China. During a time when there were very few Christians, uh, certainly none where he went, Hudson Taylor, who was a man of prayer, said, do not have your concert first and tune your instruments afterward. Begin the day with God. And I would say, do not have your concert first and tune your instruments afterward, but begin your prayer with God. The first thing that Jesus does in this passage, which is a part of of the Sermon on the Mount, or a section of the Sermon on the Mount that we have in in, uh, Matthew chapter seven, which we looked at in Sunday school this morning, the first thing he does is he gives us a tuner. He gives us a way to tune our hearts to the heart of God. And that's what we often call the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. This is how you should pray. The Lord's Prayer should be for us a model for attuning our hearts and our minds to the heart and the mind of God. You see, God will answer your prayers, just like he says, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open." He will answer your prayers, but he is no cosmic vending machine. He is not simply there at your every beck and call to give you exactly what you want in the moment. He is in no way obligated to give you whatever you want. So what does he do? Being gracious and loving, he helps us by giving us a model for how we are to pray in order to then pray for the things he wants us to pray for. And so we have this Lord's Prayer in Luke, which is kind of a condensed version of what we find in Matthew. But it begins like this. How are we to tune our hearts to God's begin like this, our father, two of the most important words that you could ever pray, our father. We are to pray with an orientation of a child who knows that he is about to address or he is addressing a father who loves him with a perfect love. Some of you know the experience of having grown up with a loving father or a loving mother who would do anything for you. Others have had a different experience, but as Christians, you have come to know the love of your heavenly father. And you know that he will do everything in his power to cause you to prosper in the way that he has for you. When we come to him, we are coming to our father who wants to give us the best that he possibly has for us. The next thing he says is hallowed be your name. That means your name is set apart. Your name is holy. It is to be revered. It is not like us. So we're coming in a spirit of humility saying, what you have for me is the best because You are not like me. Your ways are higher than mine. Your thoughts are higher than mine. So I am ready to receive and I'm ready to see your name revered in my life and in the life of others. So we're approaching a God who is perfect in every way. And we're approaching a God who is holy. And and his desire is to see his name revered in everything that we do. He says, give us each day our daily bread. Don't give us, don't put in our minds everything that you're going to do for us tomorrow and two weeks from now and a month from now and 20 years from now and and tell us exactly how our life is going to turn out. Only give us exactly what we need for today. Give us our daily bread. In Proverbs 30, it says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full And deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. When we come to the Lord in prayer, we must come ready to confess everything that is a barrier in our lives right now to fellowship with him to confess those sins that may cause us to ask for things that we don't really need and with an expectation that he will forgive us if we ask he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness which should lead us to have a heart in prayer to forgive others Knowing that God has lavished his rich love upon us through the forgiveness of our sins and sending Jesus to die on the cross for us, we must have a heart that is ready then to look out upon those who he has put in our lives and to be ready to forgive them and to seek that same reconciliation. And finally, he he says, lead us not into temptation. A heart that says, Lord, keep me from sinning. Keep me from anything that would cause there to be a barrier between you and me, that would cause me to not see things clearly. Please lead me not into temptation. In Psalm 19, the Psalmist David says, keep your servant from secret sins. So keep me from the sins that I don't even know about, but also keep me from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. J.C. Ryle said, Prayer and sinning will never live together in the same heart. Prayer will consume sin or sin will choke prayer. So in summary, how is it that Jesus would have us pray? He would have us pray within a heart that is attuned to God's. To come as a child to a loving father, to come with a reverence for his name, to come confessing and repenting, to come seeking his provision and desiring to be delivered from all sin, all that displeases God. That's what I mean by a heart attuned to God's. And the second is that we should ask, we should pray with an expectancy that he will give us exactly what we need. Pray with an expectancy that he will give exactly what we need. Here we come to this parable, which is where I want to spend the rest of our time this morning. In the parable, which I love this parable, by the way, because it just shows Jesus's ability to relate to us as humans. He was fully God, yet he was fully human, and he knows how to sympathize with us in every way. He has endured the things we have endured, experienced the same things as us, yet without sin. And so I love how earthy or how down to earth this parable is. What do, what do we have? We have a man who has a really urgent need before him because a friend has just showed up, maybe from this long journey. Uh, he's arrived from a journey, and, and he knows that he has nothing to provide him to eat. So maybe this, this man was, was starving, and, and unless he had something to eat, uh, he was going to be in, in a lot of trouble. So he says, well, I know I have a neighbor who surely has some bread. So I'm gonna go over to his house and I'm gonna knock on the door. And I know that if I just am persistent enough, eventually he will wake up and give me what, what he needs. What does the friend do at first? The friend says, leave me alone. Like, I'm asleep, my kids are asleep, the door is shut. Go away. Now, I kind of think of this as a similar experience that I have from time to time, or I should say that my wife has from time to time, where having four kids throughout the course um, of our parenting, uh, there will inevitably be times when one of the kids wakes up in the middle of the night and being sick decides to hurl all over the bed or over the wall or what have you. And my wife, because she has the mom instinct, she knows right away what has just happened. And she's up out of bed, ready to attend to the problem. But she will not let me get away with sleeping through this. (laughs) She will make sure that I wake up out of however deep of a sleep I am to help her take care of this problem. And I kind of think of it in like three phases. First, there is this phase where where she kind of nudges me and she tells me, hey, so-and-so is sick. They've thrown up. And I'm really disoriented. I don't know what's going on. So I'm just like, eh, whatever. But then there's kind of phase two where she's like, no, you need to get up. And I'm still kind of half asleep. But now I'm thinking, well, maybe if I just pretend like I'm still asleep, she'll take care of herself. And I'm I'm confessing here that I do these types of things. I'm not... I'm not perfect. No, not by any means. But then there's kind of the third phase where I do come to my senses and I realize, oh wow, you're being a jerk if you don't get up and help her. And I do get up and I step up and I help her with what she needs. She would say, well, there's probably been plenty of nights when you didn't. But certainly in those moments, she is determined. He is going to get up with me and he is going to help me take care of this problem. Now, some of us, when we pray, we pray more like this. Hey, hey God, i sure like it if, I can, if you could give me... Oh, okay, you're not, you're not going to answer that? Okay, that's fine. And we just kind of step back and we, we kind of stop praying for whatever those things are. Even, even really good things that, that do conform to the heart of God, we, we kind of just knock on the door. Okay, he's not home. He's not going to answer it the way that I had hoped, so I'm going to just go... On. But what does Jesus tell us to do? He tells us we're not supposed to pray like that. We're supposed to pray as one who is going to beat down that door until the neighbor gives us what we need. Now, the point of this parable has nothing to do with what God is like at least this first part. We're going to get to that in the end. The point of this parable has nothing to do with what God is like as being a God who's asleep and says, go away. That, that's not what the point of this parable is. It's all about how we are supposed to come to him in prayer with what persistence and with what shameless boldness. That's what this word here, impudence. Impudence means shameless boldness that we would continue to plead with God until we receive exactly what we need, that we would pray expecting to receive the good gifts that he has for us. Now, I wonder if any of you are like me in this sense. You set out ready to pray very bold prayers, prayers for salvation, for a friend who's lost, or prayer for a spiritual renewal or revival in this church and that God would just flood this church with unbelievers who would become We get saved and become new believers. But the minute that you seem to see something a little bit different with your own eyes, it doesn't happen as readily as you thought or doesn't happen in the way that you would think. All of a sudden, you're ready to just kind of walk away and leave that prayer on the shelf and and go to something else. Maybe God's not home. Maybe God doesn't want to answer the door right now. So I'll just take my prayer and I'll go somewhere else. Or yet worse yet, maybe we begin to look for the thing that we think we need in other places than from God. Like the Israelites, when God parted the Red Sea, did the most miraculous act to part the Red Sea, and then to destroy Pharaoh's army. And they've seen his mighty works, they've seen how he's answered prayer in the past, but then just a little bit later, there they are eating the manna, bread from heaven, And saying, it doesn't quite taste the way I I hoped it would. I think I want to go back to Egypt and be a slave. Or I guess Moses isn't going to come back down that mountain like I had thought and tell us what you have to say. Is there any gold around that we could maybe like turn into a cow and, and pray to that instead? But Jesus is saying here, no, pray in a way because you know how God acts and how God is always for his people and ready to deliver his people and give them good gifts, pray in a way that you expect God to answer that prayer, not giving up until you receive the answer. James 5.16 says, The prayer of a righteous man has great power in its working. The prayer of a righteous man has great power in its working. So Jesus says in verse 9, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And something to notice about each of these verbs here is we read them as ask, seek, and knock. But in the Greek, these are verbs of continuous action. So this is an ongoing thing. It's not a one and done Ask, seek, knock. Instead, it's be asking, be seeking, be knocking, keep praying, and never lose heart, as Jesus said after the parable of the persistent widow. So right now, just as a a matter of application, I want you to think of some of those prayers that maybe you have kind of lost heart, maybe some prayers that you were praying for lost people in your family. Or maybe some really bold prayers that you are asking God to do in, with your own heart and in your own life. I mean, kingdom prayers, not self-indulgent prayers, but, but prayers for God to, to move boldly in your life and in, in and around you. And maybe it's a prayer for this church that God would bring about a revival here within our community and that we would be a shining gospel beacon in our community. Let today... Be a day where your strength is renewed to continue asking, seeking, and knocking. Write it down if you have to and say, I am going to commit to not giving up asking this prayer. And finally, as you pray, rest assured that he knows what you need most. As you pray, rest assured that he knows what you need far more than you even understand. Rest assured that he knows what you need most. Jesus says in verse 11, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asked for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you feel deprived in any way because God has not answered what you believe is a a good and sincere prayer that you have been praying, if you feel deprived for any reason, it may be, in fact, it is the case that he has something far better planned for you. See, sometimes... My children, who I love very dearly and would do anything, as the expression goes, I would do anything for them, sometimes one of them will test me by asking me if they can have a caffeinated beverage before bedtime. Or sometimes one of them will ask me if they can watch a show on TV or online that is diametrically opposed to everything that mom and dad have been trying to teach them in life. Am I a good father? Or am I a bad father when I deprive them of these things? Charles Spurgeon said, it would be a terrible thing. It would be a terrible thing if God always gave us all we asked for. Our Heavenly Father himself knows how to give far better than we know how to ask. And Think about it like this. If you actually believe that the things you ask for and what you're expecting to receive when you ask, if you think that those things are better than what God actually gives you, then really we should just switch places with God, right? You should just, if you believe that you know better what he should give you than he actually gives you, just switch places with God. I realize that's impossible. But here is a great prayer that we can add to our prayer life. It's a prayer that Paul prays In his letter to the Ephesians now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus our Lord throughout all generations forever and ever amen by the way do you know where Paul was when he prayed this prayer he was in prison By the way, one of the reasons why the gospel spread so far and so quickly was because of, not in spite of, but because of his arrest and subsequent transportation to prison in Rome. Even after he had prayed to be delivered from the unbelievers in Jerusalem, the unbelievers in Judea. God answered that prayer by arresting, having Paul arrested and shipped to Rome so that he could proclaim the gospel to all of the Roman Empire. We were talking about this this morning in Sunday School. The reason why you are here this morning, many of you, most of you, is because Paul made that trip to Rome not in the way that he had originally prayed, but the way God decided. He continued proclaiming the gospel. Churches were planted in Rome and the gospel spread throughout the empire. At one point, someone said it would be a good idea if we go and evangelize those barbaric Anglos to the north. And so they brought the gospel to what we now know is England. And England embraced the gospel, but the, the institutional church at one point got a little too big for its own britches, and they decided to handcuff and restrict gospel ministers again. So what did people do? They left, and they went on to places like America on the Mayflower, began preaching the gospel, planting churches. And the reason why many of us are here today is because of faithful generations who have been preaching the gospel time in and time out after that. And that brings me to this final, what I think is a very surprising and arresting line at the end of this passage. I don't think this ends the way that we think it is. And I I think it's just like God to surprise us to say, my ways are so much better than your ways. Because in Matthew, it even says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? But here we have it a little bit different. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give, what, the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The pinnacle, I think what this means, is that the pinnacle of answered prayer the pinnacle of anything that we could possibly receive from God in prayer is the provision of the Holy Spirit. The pinnacle of answered prayer is the provision of the Holy Spirit, that we would experience more of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As Christians, we know that the Spirit indwells all of us, all who have trusted in Christ. We have the Spirit living in us, but Paul tells us to be being filled. He says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit, that we would experience more and more of the Spirit at work in our lives. His gifts, his power, his wisdom, his assurance, his comfort, his conviction. When is the last time that you prayed for the Holy Spirit You prayed for an experience of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life like someone who was pounding on your neighbor's door at midnight, desperate for bread. So what are we asking for when we ask for the Holy Spirit? What do I mean by praying and asking that God would give us more of the Holy Spirit? Well, I like to go to what Scripture has to tell us about the role of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is doing in and among us. The Spirit is the helper who teaches you all things and brings to your remembrance all I have said to you. So one of the things we're doing when we're praying for the Holy Spirit is we're praying that God would call to the mind, call to our minds the things that he has taught us and the things he has already revealed to us in his word to help us. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness. And judgment. That's John 16, 7 through 8. So when we are praying for more of the Holy Spirit, we are praying for the one who is going to convict us of sin, who's going to tell us what's wrong with us, and praying also that the Spirit would work in that same way in the lives of those who are still unbelieving. Third, the Holy Spirit is the one who searches all things, even the deep things of God. 1 Corinthians 2:10 through 11. And I think this is helpful for times when we are just beside ourselves, when we are confused, when we don't have any sense of what God is doing with us, when we, we, we can't understand why he would take us through a trial, and we ask for the help of the Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, to help us understand Fourth, the Spirit is the one who gives gifts to the church. To each has been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so when we ask for the Spirit, we're asking for his help to identify the gifts that he's given us and for ways that we can employ them for the good of the church and that the rest of the church would be doing the same so that we can be built up to look more like Christ. Fifth, The Holy Spirit gives us blessed assurance. We can ask for the help of the Spirit to give us blessed assurance, like we sang. The Spirit in Romans 8 is the one who bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He's called the seal and the guarantee of our salvation until we acquire possession of it. And in those times when maybe we've messed up big time or we have committed a sin that seems to just be prevalent in our lives and we wonder why it won't go away and we begin to despair and to lose hope and to wonder, am I even a Christian? We ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. He reminds us, you are a child of God. He bears witness with our spirit. And that's the very reason why we wish it were not the case that we were sinning in that particular way. We also know he's the one who will persevere us to the end, the one who will see us home. And finally, what do we do if we just simply don't know how to pray? We don't have the words to articulate what we feel, a way to express to God what we need in the midst of the many burdens that are weighing us down. Romans 8 as well. Likewise, this is Romans eight twenty six. the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Friends, it is always an appropriate prayer. If you are in the middle of praying, whether in private or in public, and you just simply don't have the words, it is an appropriate thing to say, Spirit, I need you to intercede for me and give me the words that I don't even know how to pray right now. And even if they are groanings and they are mumblings and actual audible words never come out, the Spirit is taking those prayers to heaven and your Heavenly Father knows exactly what you are trying to say. Or as Richard Sibbs would say, God can pick sense out of a confused prayer. God can pick sense out of a confused prayer. The Spirit... I want you to see is the gift par excellence, the pinnacle of all prayer. And so it is always an appropriate thing to be asking, seeking, and knocking till you come to know his power at work in you. Ask with your hearts attuned to God's. Ask with an expectancy that he will give you exactly what you need. And as you pray, rest assured that he knows what you need the most.